I'll invite you to remain standing for our reading of Scripture today, which comes to us out of the Gospel of John, chapter 17, we read verses 18 through 23. John 17, 18 through 23, and I don't think it made it up onto the screen. That's my fault in the back. So just, you have to listen with your ears instead of following with your eyes this morning. The words of Jesus. As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in truth. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through the word, that they may all be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I and them, and you and me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. I invite you to be seated. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So today we continue our worship series entitled Hot Topics. And uh, we've been asking questions each week that uh, those maybe are questions you've wanted to ask in the past and never uh, got to or, or maybe we're afraid to or just never got around to but these are questions that we all ask at some point in our faith and today we ask the question why do Christians disagree why do Christians disagree now we could preach for hours on this but I promise you I won't I promise you I won't so we'll just uh, we'll answer this as succinctly as we can but here's a question for you. How many within your families have ever had any kind of disagreement? No families disagree in Winsboro? Every family at some point, whether it be minute or whether it be very obvious, have had a disagreement at some point, right? Families on average spend uh, 91 hours a year arguing. 91 hours a year. Now, I don't know exactly how that number was taken. I, I don't know, I, I'm guessing it was from little disagreements all the way up to, to major uh, things. But 91 hours a year. And folks, yes, we all, we all have our, our, our tiffs. And, and we all have our disagreements. But how often have we spent time as Christians arguing amongst each other? The amount of time Christians spend arguing with each other sometimes gives the impression that we don't truly love each other to those who may not be uh, on the outside looking in. Or, or perhaps sometimes even it can seem like we love our point more than we love the person we're arguing with. Folks, if you hear nothing else today, I want you to hear this phrase. Time spent arguing could be time spent loving. Time spent arguing could be time spent loving. 
So if I were to uh, ask you a question, so let's move in, in, into the church realm. If I was to ask you a question about worship style, about liturgy, about decor, about the sanctuary, about the placement of this, about what we sing, whatever the case may be, how many of you would have an opinion you want, you want heard? You don't have to actually raise your hand, but, but just think to yourself. We all do. Right? Whether we think we do or not, we all have an opinion we want heard. And you know what? It's part of human nature to have an opinion. And for some more than others, Roy, it is in human nature to want that opinion to be heard. <laughs> but it is in the nature of humanity to disagree. But hear this too. Our issue as humans is not that we all want to be heard. It's when we feel that our point is more important than the issue itself. Are you with me? You know, church arguments are certainly not new. In fact, that's how the Christian movement got its start. Because somebody didn't agree with another. Arguments among early followers of Christ and the Pharisees over the law was one of the first documented disagreements when it comes to uh, uh, even Jesus himself and, and, the, and the law. And in fact, Jesus' disagreement and open disagreement with the Pharisees is what got him nailed to the cross. Jesus set a high standard for Christian unity. Our scripture today is a prayer. In fact, it, it, it's, it's more than a prayer. It's a plea for everyone to stay as one. Above all, and if nothing else, with the focus being the love of God as revealed in Christ Jesus. But the standard uh, for unity was tested very, very early on. In fact, even amongst the disciples and the other early followers of Jesus, there, there was some dissension. Uh, some of the early followers of Christ who spoke Greek felt discriminated against by followers who spoke Aramaic. And then it went to one thing to another. And so the my Jesus is better than yours or the he loves me more than you argument started to unfold. How many siblings young have the discussion, well, mama loves me more, or daddy loves me more? Well, the Jesus loves me argument started early. So to try and resolve these early petty disagreements, leaders in the early church met in, in councils. And these councils produced creeds or statements of belief intended to unify the church. And so, uh, as a result, the, in the 4th century, two councils met that we're going to talk about. One in the year 325 in Nicaea. The other in the year 381 in Constantinople, which is modern-day Istanbul. And the results of those council meetings produced what we know today as the Nicene Creed the Nicene Creed, the statement of beliefs of all Christians. And this creed has held f 
confirm through the years. And, 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 and these, these meetings and, and these councils and other statements of belief would continue to go on, and through such decisions through these councils, the, the church charted a course to resolve the hard questions at hand. But, but frequently, even amongst those councils, and even though they did come to a consensus on beliefs, those meetings still had a side effect. Those who still disagreed continued on the path to forming separate churches. All of which still claimed to follow Jesus. But fast forward to present day, and we now have, as a result of the continued practice of disagreement, at least 40,000, if not more, known Christian organizations, many of which affiliate with a specific denomination uh, or others who have even become non-denominational, form separate organizations known as Christian, but who perhaps have a different title on a sign out front. So much for unity, right? <laughs> the question is why? The question is, why do we disagree so much? And like I said earlier, we could ask hundreds of questions surrounding this, but we're, we're going we're to answer this as succinctly as we can today. So this is going to be a, a, a more of a teaching, a historical sermon, but just bear with me. I promise there's some amen moments in there. I'm always good for an amen moment, amen? So there you go. Okay. So one way, one way to answer our question this morning is to describe how Christianity change to become the very diverse denominations uh, that we know today. Many denominations can be formed and grouped into major families. The first major split in Christianity came in the year 1054 between the Latin-speaking western part of the church and the Greek-speaking eastern part of the church. Leadership in the church at this time was top-down and the top consisting of five patriarchs. Five patriarchs. They were called bishops, and they were designated across five major cities. They were endowed with leadership across that particular region, and the head of the council of patriarchs or the council of bishops at the time was the patriarch to the bishop of Rome, to which was also called the Pope. And he was given the role of first among the patriarchs. So, one of the first major splits in 1054 uh, between the, the different English, uh, uh, speaking uh, languages in the church and, and which language should be spoken and other things, but it also split, uh, a split also centered around the authority of the Pope. How much power does the Pope have in the church? It, it centered around uh, the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and particularly the Holy Spirit's relationship to the Father, to God. And also, of course, you can imagine, splits came out of issues involving worship and liturgy. Here they argue about styles of worship. We don't do that today, do we? Many other uh, secular issues, such as the split of the Roman Empire. Uh, the printing press had a major impact. And also, theological questions about faith and good works took on new urgency. A lot of these things led to what we call the Protestant Reformation. Have you heard of the Protestant Reformation? 
the teachings of Martin Luther, of John Calvin, led to the creation of Reformed churches, the Lutheran church and the Presbyterian church. And then a group led by Erwick Zwingli taught a different understanding of baptism than the Reformed churches, subsequently, subsequently led to the formation of the group called the Anabaptist. Anabaptist simply meaning baptized again. And so you can imagine, so these are, are, are your main trunks of the tree out of the early Protestant Reformation. Viewed together, they were all called Protestants because they were protesting against the Roman Catholic Church. That's where we get the name. So in England then, the church took steps to reduce the authority of the Pope, adopted some Protestant doctrines while retaining apostolic succession. So while retaining the top-down model, retained the leadership of the bishops and many other Roman Catholic practices, and that resulted in the creation of the Church of England, also called Anglican. And then out of the Anglican Church, we find John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, which arose in the 18th century. And he, uh, John Wesley was an ordained priest in the Anglican Church. And disagreements, disagreements, hello. He left the church, the Anglican Church, started the Methodist movement, and all of you are here today sitting as a result of that. So we could go on and on and on, and it just continues from there, still continues to this day, but despite all the claims, most Christians, with all of these splits, still believe the affirmation of truths as expressed by the Nicene Creed. And many, whether they use the Nicene Creed itself or not, many use those affirmations as a requirement to be identified as a Christian. Therefore, another way we can answer this question this morning is to describe the fundamental characteristics of Christianity and how they contributed to these disagreements. The first primary characteristic of Christianity is the incarnation. The incarnation. The incarnation is where God becomes flesh through Jesus in order to save humanity from our sins. The intention of the Christian movement was to help all of humanity to be reconciled to God. How else would this happen but to go out and to tell people about it, right? The disagreement comes in the methods of telling and the amount of adaptation to local culture will be allowed in order to communicate the gospel. So what methods are we going to use to communicate the truths that we believe in? Some people wanted more tradition and, and, and the, that very nature of Christianity is threatened by some new approaches while others argue the gospel doesn't change but the way it is communicated and practiced must change in order to accomplish God's purposes. You see the arguments on both sides and while they sound very valid, 
obviously, we all have our own opinions because we are, by nature, as humans, opinionated creatures. That was the incarnation. A second characteristic was the formation of community or the formation of the believers of Christ, the group of believers of Christ that we call the church. The church. And so disagreements have ensued over the leadership structure, over, over uh, the authority, over the leaders themselves. It goes on and on. Enough about that. The third characteristic was the belief that God had inspired authoritative writings to guide the church's message and practice. This is where differences in interpretation of Scripture come in. See, all these disagreements, and we hadn't even got to the Bible yet. <laughs> and oh my, how many different interpretations of Scripture do we have? Just go down the road, and it'll change. <laughs> go down the road in the other way, and it'll change. Not always bad, but it, it, it will change. In the United Methodist Church specifically, we address this characteristic by saying that we believe that Scripture is primary... But reason, tradition, and experience are also important in shaping one's faith and one's practice. We have a fancy name for this. We call this the Wesleyan Quadrilateral. And uh, uh, we express it by putting Scripture on the bottom and accompanying it with reason, tradition, and experience to formulate our interpretation of Scripture. Would you study that for a couple seconds? With reason, we have science, philosophy, and logic. With tradition, we have denominations, church writings, spiritual practices, and Christian writings. With experience, we have our own personal experiences, our emotions, our shared experiences, our testimonies, the stories of the saints of our lives. All of these come together to form the way that we interpret Scripture, the way that we read Scripture. Of course, with the Bible itself being the foundation, the bottom that which the others build from and out of. And so finally, we move on to the fourth characteristic of Christianity. It's relationship to the secular government. It's relationship with everyone else. Do I need to talk about that anymore? <laughs> Have you read or watched the news lately? Despite all of this, or despite where our differences come from, Christians must admit that we do disagree. Amen? We must admit that we will disagree. Even within our own church, we will at times disagree, and we must admit that. Our disagreements have arisen in part because of Christianity's success in shaping Western culture, which in turn has spawned nation-states, it has spawned uh, colonies, it has spawned development uh, modern sciences, and invented the concept of religious freedom. Think about it for a moment. Humanity invented the concept of religious freedom, not God. Hello? These changes have opened up opportunities for religious groups to form, to divide, to grow, or to die. 
whatever the case may be. And while we must agree to disagree, we must also work for unity. We should spend less time arguing and more time loving. Hello? People of differing denominations have, in fact, worked together for many, many years towards the common goal of sharing the gospel. It is not new to work alongside our sisters and brothers of other denominational groups. The spiritual ingredient necessary for such unity is already present in the hearts and minds of many. Wesley had a fancy word called it Catholic spirit or universal spirit. Folks, no matter how we want to shape it, no matter how we want to form it, there is only one Holy Spirit because there is only one Jesus Christ. There is only one God above all. No matter how many groups we want to form, there is but one God, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit. The spiritual ingredient necessary is the universal spirit, the desire to be one. Wesley said that people are different, cannot all think alike. There are some beliefs that we will hold in common, such as those in the Nicene Creed. But there are other issues that Wesley described as, quote, matters of opinion. <laughs> matters of opinion. Even though we disagree... We should, in fact, hold a belief. Because indifference is not, in fact, helpful. Where do you want to go to dinner tonight? Well, I don't care. That's not helpful. <laughs> it matters to hold an opinion. Because to not have one is even less helpful. <laughs> Hello? At the same time, because all these other matters of opinion are not essential doctrines, it is possible that one might be mistaken. I love comedian Mark Lowry because what he does at all of his concerts is, is he, he always gauges who's out there, the Methodists, the Baptists, the Presbyterians, the Lutherans, whatever, and he says it's so nice that we can all gather in this one big group together and praise God, but you should think when we all get to heaven we'll find out somebody was wrong. <laughs> we have to remember... The possibility of error should lead to a certain amount of humility. To be human is to make mistakes, and on matters of opinion, one might just be wrong. Wesley taught that the Catholic or the universal spirit is the same as Catholic or the universal love. Love has no bounds. Love conquers all. Love crosses boundaries that even humans have the audacity to create. It is a belief that people whose hearts are committed to Christ and the basic teachings of Christ should be able to love each other and work together for the benefit of God's kingdom 
And here is, here, here's the kicker. God's kingdom, not my kingdom. Hello? Work for the benefit of God's kingdom, not my kingdom. Why? Because I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We say the words to a creed every Sunday, whether it be the Nicene Creed that we use one or two times a year, whether it be the Apostles' Creed that we use more often, whether it be a modern affirmation. All the words are the same, even if they're condensed. We are saying we believe in one Catholic, holy, and apostolic church. We believe in one church body that comes directly from God the Father, regardless of how many different titles we have on the outside of our church signs. We are unified in Christ under one God, one Jesus, one Holy Spirit. I want to end today with the words of John Wesley. I believe it really, really satisfies, I know for me, in talking about the differences of opinion. John West says, I will not quarrel with you about any opinion. Only see that your heart be right towards God. That you know the Lord Jesus Christ. That you love your neighbor and walk as your master walked. And I desire no more. Everything else is sheer, as we call in the South, lanyap. It's extra. Our stance as United Methodists on Scripture is simply this. We believe it contains all things necessary for salvation. Everything else is what we call lanyap. Is it important? Absolutely. Never misinterpret the importance of Scripture. But as Wesley said, is it really worth arguing about if it has nothing to do with salvation? Is it really worth arguing about who, what language? Is it really worth arguing about what style? Is it really worth arguing about what we wear coming through? Whatever the case may be, is it really worth disunifying the body of Christ when it doesn't have to do with salvation? That's the point Wesley was trying to make. And that is the point we are still trying to make today. One body, one God, Father, Son, and one Holy Spirit. That is the gospel message today. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Amen.